0: Well, welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we're seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. And I'm Garland.
1: And I'm Sam.
0: Hey, Sam. We are glad to have you with us today. Um, Sam's here to just help us navigate uh, today's question, which we are asking, how do I respond when a brother or sister in Christ is found in sin?
2: Yeah. This is like a weighty, tough uh, thing to discuss because it has real lives attached to it, it has sure. our lives attached to it. Because that's this is all of us at uh, at lots and lots of various times in our life, and um, it it can bring uh, pain to know that somebody that we really deeply love and care about is. Uh, is not walking with Jesus or has gone through seasons where they haven't. It. It's painful when we haven't, and we have to face uh, somebody maybe calling us out uh, for that. And so just just before we even jump in, uh, just the sensitivity of this and recognizing that uh, uh, we, we're not the moral police walking around trying to sit in judgment over people, even though I think sometimes that's how Christians maybe have come across. And uh, I think sometimes when we inter- interact with this, it can be done with some pride, and done with uh, not a lot of not a lot of humility and grace, and actually I think that's that would be not how the Bible advises us and so uh, what we do want to see is how, how does the Bible advise us? What does it look like to uh, engage with one another in trying to live for Jesus and doing so faithfully when we all mess up uh, and that 's kind of where we want to go, and even stating it that way kind of softens it than a brother in sin or a sister in sin. So uh, just thinking through some warning signs, if you were to go like uh, on a hike or you're going, uh, you're driving somewhere, you're going to have some signs that indicate where you're going, maybe some even warning signs telling you what's coming up. And a few warnings just before we get going on this. Uh, the first one, this, this help us wraps our, help, helps us wrap our arms around how to even navigate this in our culture. Uh, the first warning would be this. Uh, I think one failure that Christians have had is we have expected non-Christians to live Christianly. And that's a major, it should be just a warning for us that somebody that does not follow Jesus, is not acknowledging they follow Jesus, does not have the Holy Spirit, I don't expect them to live Christianly. And this can be uh, problematic when we expect that of people. How would they know? How would... Yeah,
1: somebody who's not following the Lord probably not exposed to the scriptures, yeah. probably receiving their moral standards yeah. from an outside source, yeah. how would they know?
2: I, yeah. Why would I expect that of them? Yeah, absolutely. I think often in our culture, uh, Christians have come across really judgmental and hypocritical when we have expected the culture to behave Christianly when the culture may not even be Christians. Um, so,
1: so we're not talking about how to correct a friend who doesn't follow Jesus right. in sin. We're talking right. about a brother or sister. What do you mean by that?
2: And that's, that, We're talking about somebody in our fellowship of faith, of faith, somebody claiming to follow Jesus. And that's really important yeah. to note the difference. Yeah. Uh, and so and sometimes we failed, and we've got to own that and uh, apologize when necessary when we fail that. The, the second warning would be this. When we have somebody who claims to be a Christian, who claims to follow Jesus... And then they have some sin in their life, and because that sin is particularly bothersome to us, we then say, well, they can't be a Christian because of X, Y, Z sin. Uh, I find this especially true, like you know, like I deal with a lot of college students and young adults, and oftentimes the younger we are, the more idealistic we can be, and uh, when, say, say this person has these obvious sins, we go, they can't be a Christian because they're doing that, and we Disregard their claim of faith. We disregard their spiritual story and just assume that you can't be Christian and do those things. And that's just really dangerous, uh, I think, for us to begin to assess somebody else's sin, not looking at ourselves, and then assigning them not a follower of Jesus because of it. Uh, and that causes lots of hurt and pain in people's lives. The third warning would be something like this. Uh. As we, we have people that are in our church, and they are claiming to follow Jesus, and we assume that that's not our responsibility, the things they are struggling with, or it's their business. Don't get involved in their business, and so therefore, we don't address it. We don't go to them, and often what I find happening is we talk to everyone else but the person about their struggle or their sin or whatever, and we never actually go to them, and that's really dangerous and really uh, hurtful.
1: Yeah, uh, that's usually the question I ask someone when they come to me in maybe a a tone of gossip. Right. First question I ask is, have you talked to them right. about this? Right. But it, it, that brings <laughs> up an age old question, Garland. Genesis four. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Hey, yeah. it's not my deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not my deal, but I probably need to go talk to someone <laughs> exactly. out of prayer for exactly. concern yeah, yeah, yeah. about it. Hey, I've been yeah.
2: praying about this and I just wanted to talk to not them but you about yeah. it. And uh yeah, yeah and we I- could Hide behind I'm that. really
1: concerned about this family, right? But not concerned enough to talk to them about it. Just right. enough for you to eat right. the morsel, the, ta- the Proverbs right, describes right, right. a tasty morsel, yeah, 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 yeah of yeah. gospel, yeah, of, uh, of gossip. gossip, of yeah. gossip, not gospel, yeah, gossip. yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry.
2: And then the last warning would be something like this. Uh, it's really difficult. Like I don't think the I don't think the New Testament. Expected what we find in our culture in America now, which is this, where you can have a large amount of people put the label of Christian on their life, but that mostly can can somewhat be a cultural thing. Uh, Well, I'm southern, so of course I'm a Christian. The New Testament doesn't seem to expect this to be a the, the kind of scenario that we find ourselves in. To to put on the label of Christian is to take the label of a humiliated, crucified one as the King and Lord of my life. And uh, to have it simply be sort of a cultural badge that we wear, it's just, that's just a warning we have to know going in that uh, we live in a culture where there are some that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but not necessarily follow Jesus with their life. Just kind of, that's just the culture, the air that they breathe, the culture they were raised in. And that can make this very tricky to navigate. Uh,
1: yeah, especially... If if you believe that we're headed towards a post Christian culture, uh, sometimes you know you go and talk to someone out of concern, and we're going to talk about how to do that today. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, I know, I I I'm I'm out of bounds here. Mm-hmm. But Garland, I, I know you know this, but it's been my experience, and more prevalent in the last ten years, mm-hmm. that you go to somebody and they'll actually argue with you about what right and wrong is. Right. So you're not even operating off the same um, diagnostic. Right. Of And so you're, mm-hmm. you're having to start from ground zero. Mm-hmm. So the tone actually comes back uh, from a person who claims to follow Christ. How could you mm-hmm. accuse me right. of sin and, and they, they're not operating from the Scriptures right. as authoritative.
2: Yes, yeah, so that might be a whole other guardrail is just to go, yeah, I don't really do what the Scripture says. I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, yeah. yeah tell me all you want, but I don't really care. And that's a, that's a whole other situation. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a whole, a whole, whole other, other thing deal. that we might. Uh, so w- those are all warnings when we navigate this. And I think it's helpful because when we approach brothers and sisters who we are supposed to love and cherish, we're doing so from a framework of what the Bible is saying about this thing we call the church. And uh, often I think that when we approach this topic, we think the Bible gave us some rules, Christians follow these rules, and now we're going to go get on to people when they don't follow those rules and make sure they follow the rules. And that can come across very cold, it can come across sort of hypocritical and judgmental. And I think that actually begins us in the wrong spot. So just in in 30 seconds, I want to help us get our minds around what this thing is that the church is supposed to be. And that's how Paul always informs us when he talks about, here's how you follow this Jesus. And so if you think about what God has created in this universe for his glory and for our joy, humanity has consistently broken in their rebellion and sin And idolatry and god over and over in the scripture is calling a people to himself out of his sovereign grace and then asking them to bring that goodness to bear out into the rest of the world we see this with abraham we see this with the israelites in exodus 19 and we see that same thing true in the church as israel has failed monumentally to bring that blessing into the world instead falling victim to the very same idolatry and sin that adam and eve fell victim to and we did as well God calls out a people, now called the church, to bring that blessing out into the world. And some of the symbolism, even of what the church is, the New Testament will call the church the temple of God. What's a temple? That's where heaven and earth meet. And what is that whole idea going on in Acts chapter 2 of these flaming tongues? We've talked about this uh, before. Now we see this is the dwelling of God coming to be in this thing called the church. And so Paul roots so many of his exhortations for how we live in this understanding that we are now the temple of God. We are the place where God dwells bodily here in this thing called the church. And so when he gives us moral commands or imperatives, it's coming from that framework. You're the church, you're the temple, you're the dwelling place of God, bring my blessing out to bear into the rest of the world. And in that context, we have a responsibility to each other. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Like, we're the temple, for crying out loud. We are God's dwelling in the world. So, of course, we want to fight to live lives that reflect that. And so, to to get our minds sort of situated here on what it looks like, I want to take us to Galatians 6. So, if you wouldn't mind, Sam, read for us Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 and 2. And we'll just sort of anchor right here to get us thinking.
1: Yeah, this will be NIV. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ.
2: I love these two verses. Like The unity and the holiness of the church is is important. And as Paul has been addressing, what does it look like for the Spirit to indwell this thing called the church? And he's been talking about how the church is God's faithfulness and God's plan in the world. He gives us the exhortation. He says, if you see someone in sin, if you see someone who isn't living this way, who isn't following you, who isn't bringing that goodness to bear, as God would have us do, he said we're to go and restore them, to to seek to mend them, to seek to make them whole again. This word is, is loaded with meaning uh, in the New Testament, this Greek word that's being translated here as restore. He says, you have a responsibility to go to that person and take what's been fractured and broken, and make it whole again, to mend it. And that is such a beautiful picture, I think, even when we begin talking about how do we handle the Christian in sin. It starts with, we want to take the broken parts and make them whole again. That's just such a different flavor, even for this conversation.
1: Yeah, it's almost, you know, when you see that phrase, if someone's caught in sin, uh, it, the the emphasis of this verse is not on us catching them. Right. Uh, it, I I wish it would say if, if it's revealed that someone's struggling.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the idea here of restoration is I, I, it's almost like if you see someone who needs help you as a believer, you mm-hmm. as a family member should help mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And so this even reading this verse it, it can come across as we're sin catchers right. who are supposed to go point that out but it, but it's not. We're not out looking for someone to be mm-hmm. caught in sin. Mm-hmm. But hey, if it comes across your path, you see someone who needs help, then you ought to help restore them. And I love that that Greek word that means to mend, mm-hmm. too, like a broken bone being mm-hmm. set.
2: And that just even you using the, the language, when you see someone that needs help, like for some reason what comes to my mind, I know we, we see this happen often when like uh, like floodwaters rise in cities and people would get caught out in the middle of the current and they're, they're stuck, like they can't get out somebody's got to come to their rescue and help. And that's, for some reason, the image that comes to my it's a mind great image. when I see this. You're bringing them out of the brokenness. You're bringing them out of this place of danger and setting them back on solid yeah. ground. You're
1: not yeah. saying, why didn't you leave a week ago right. yeah, yeah, when yeah. we came on? Where's
2: your boat with your oar? Like You're yeah. trying to help them, and that's the posture that we're taking. Yeah, it's
1: not to shame. It, right. It's not to punish. It's to restore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the, a, a good heart check to ask yourself if you're going to approach someone who their sin has been revealed. And I think that's a good question, Garland. Mm-hmm. If
2: mm-hmm.
1: you don't have to approach everyone that you think is in sin, if you're going to approach, if you're going to try to help your ultimate goal is restoration. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then don't.
2: Yeah. And the, the, it, the uh, the NIV is translating this next little phrase as, restore that person gently, um, mm. which I think is, that's, a, that's, a, that's an okay translation. The, the word that's being translated for us is, with humility. Mm. So that, to the point you're just making, with humility. Uh, and so often, this can be done in an arrogant, judgmental or anger. way, or an angry, punishing yeah. way. And this word, humility, is the same word used about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, with humility... Of mind. And so that's really important. Then we'll look what it says. But watch yourself. You also might be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And so the picture that we're already getting in Galatians 6 is a much different picture than I think how often the church has handled some of these things and people in the church. And this is such a more gentle, restorative, helpful loving posture that's looking inward as well. And what we're going to see when we turn out of Galatians and look at what Jesus had to say about this is he's basically going to say the exact same thing. Uh, that Paul is just reflecting on what he's learned from those that follow Jesus. And so any more comment on Galatians 6 before we turn?
1: Well, I, on the on the take your illustration of the flood with this warning. Um, I, it's very applicable. If you're going to go rescue someone in floodwaters, be careful you, you be don't careful. get yeah, swept exactly. away. Yeah. And and some people interpret that as, um, man, you could get swept into the same temptation, mm-hmm. but but maybe it's talking about a different temptation mm-hmm. of pride. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm not like you in this sin. Or <laughs> maybe it's um, anger that, that for some reason we think we're the one that's been offended right. by someone's sin and not God mm-hmm. or shame. Mm-hmm. You can really hurt someone. And mm-hmm. how many people have left the church? because the church has been harsh when someone needed help.
2: Right, yeah. So. As we look at what Jesus uh, has said about this, uh, we get to start the Sermon on the Mount, which is fantastic. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' sermon, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus giving... His kingdom ethic. What does it look like to live with Jesus as the King of your life? And he gives some of our most famous teaching in here, and it's really, really beautiful. and, and I would challenge anybody in our, in our church to read it every year. But and he gets when he gets to chapter seven, he will speak to this. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Sam, read for us uh, uh, Matthew chapter seven, and we're going to include verse six. I actually think it fits in the context. So uh, we scholars have debated what to do with verse six. We'll make sense of it, hopefully. Go for it.
1: Well, I'll just say up front, I'm really excited you're going to solve that for us.
2: We're going to throw a suggestion out there and see if you you and Nick agree.
1: Yeah. Nick, aren't you excited for that? Oh, I cannot wait for that. But scholars have debated for thousands of years, Garland will solve today. You've heard it said, but Garland (laughs) says. Yeah. The G-I-V. All right. This is N-I-V. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged.
2: Let's make a couple observations. Like the very first thing that I think our culture sees when we read this, and I hear we hear it all the time. In fact, I'm, this might be one of the most famous verses now in Scripture. Mm. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And we take it as like a catch-all verse in our culture now to say, hey, you Christians, stop judging me. I can do what I want. Get off my back. I think that's how I've heard the spirit of this used kind of when people will come to me with it. Christians are jerks. And uh, they need to read their own book. Um, yeah,
1: it's it's the Ten Commandments. That's fifties right. and sixties have been replaced with the one commandment:
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. don't judge.
1: There's only one commandment yeah. now. You better don't not judge, judge me, yeah, because yeah. that's intolerant. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Um, insensitive. It's politically incorrect to mm-hmm. judge.
2: And we would say we. One of our warnings was when we're talking to somebody who's not in the who's not a follower of Jesus. I shouldn't expect them to. And oftentimes that's coming from I think people that have been hurt by the church expecting people that aren't claiming to follow Jesus to uh, somehow follow him, which is not necessarily possible.
0: And it's easy to bring a 21st century connotation to a word from the first century that wasn't there, right. meaning because judge has this really heavy, horrible association for us. We assume that that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew mm-hmm. seven, mm-hmm. when judge didn't carry all that negative, that, that negative meaning for Jesus right. as he's throwing that out there. So we need to read it in that context, mm-hmm. what Jesus is actually talking about. Judge was really important because it's the person
2: who helps bring rightness and wisdom into our culture. We mm-hmm. need this person to do it well. Now, that's the first observation. Is our, We love this verse now culturally. The second observation, though, is it's not saying that at all. It's not saying never bring correction to bear, never bring rightness to bear. Look at the, what Jesus is saying. The point that he is making is, and I think verse 5 gets to it. I love how the NIV translates it. You hypocrite, he says, First, take the speck or the piece of sawdust and NIV out of your own eye, then you can bring the correction into the the situation with your brother or your sister. So I think what we can see Jesus is hammering away at here is not correcting and helping each other as we've talked about in Galatians, but doing so hypocritically, never looking at your own the junk in your own life. Uh, and man, that is such. A
0: great starting point for all these conversations. I mean, it's meant to be satire. It's meant to be funny. I mean, yes. you picture you're, you're going in for LASIK surgery, and the eye surgeon walks in with a blindfold on. Right. And you go, I don't think this is going to go really I well. I don't know if I'm in the right place here. Yes. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's meant to be funny, the idea that you the eye is such a delicate organ. The eye that you're going to do this very delicate procedure while you have a giant plank sticking out of right. your head. It's meant to be comical, that idea of, I'm going to go make a correction in someone else when I have something I'm absolutely blind mm-hmm. to in my own life. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's not telling you not to judge. In fact, right. we can't help but judge. Mm-hmm. We can't help but make make uh, judgment calls in all areas of life because there are standards or expectations and we're driving up the highway and all of a sudden traffic slows down. Mm -hmm. We make a judgment. This is not normal. Mm -hmm. So it's not telling us not to judge. It's telling us not to hypocritically judge others. Mm -hmm. Don't approach someone and point out their sin from a disposition that you don't have Mm -hmm. sin. So it speaks again, you know, we just talked about gentleness and humility, the tone of judgment, it doesn't say there's not a standard, and that we can't reconcile things we see to that standard.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it that that's just a much, much more gentle way, I think, to begin. I always advise people, and I've tried to practice this in my own life, uh, st- kind of start the conversation acknowledging your own brokenness and sin. Uh, it's like here's here's man, here's where I struggle. Here's where I'm still uh, trying to follow Jesus. Where I'm still on the path to try to learn who Jesus is more. Hey, I need your help in this as well. Hey, can I point something out that, I'm, that I think I'm seeing in, in your life? Uh, and that, that just that posture is so different. And Jesus is advising us that right here. Uh, now, verse 6. Some people, this has been debated, we haven't obviously. haven't read it yet. Yeah. You want to read it? Yeah, read Yeah, verse we better six. read it. Yeah. yeah, let's read it.
1: All right. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn
2: and tear you to pieces. So the question is, how does this relate to the first five verses? And uh, does it? And it does. Some people would say, no. Jesus is is being sort of summarized here. Some have taken it to to go right with the previous context. And if that's the case, then this pearl, if it goes to the context right before it, if then this pearl would be uh, the the rebuke that you're bringing gently and non hypocritically. And as you come with that. You have to be, you have to be careful. You have to you have to watch because if somebody is refusing to acknowledge, if refusing to repent, refusing to humble themselves before what you hopefully you're bringing is a is a God blessed Jesus obedient thing, then eventually they may turn and attack you. They may come against you, and they so, may, they will, they will, the time <laughs> they will. And so yeah, it's, it's going to get real life stuff. so having the wisdom and the discernment to go. All right, I've I've brought this before this person, and they're refusing to to receive it. I need to I need to be careful because oftentimes this can only lead to more danger and destruction if I keep pressing in and keep pressing in. And then he's going to give us what it looks like to press in in Matthew eighteen, which is where we're going to turn next.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have. I, I think this verse six is attached mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the the judgment piece. First of all, this is a sermon. And so for those of us, you know, Nick, Garland, we all preach. This is, this is an illustration. So Jesus has his thesis statement up here, do not judge or you'll too be judged. And he's talking about hypocritical judgment. So he gives two illustrations, the sawdust and the, the mm-hmm. plank. And then here's his second one. Mm-hmm. It, it's more of an application. Hey, you know, be careful that when you go and approach someone that they may flip the script on you. But I don't know about you guys, but I've often found that sometimes when I go to someone out of concern, even with humility and gentleness, it's still trampled on, Mm -hmm. but sometimes only for three or four days. And what is immediately received with defensiveness and hurt? Because who wants to be told? Right. I don't know about you guys. Um, this is maybe the way it happens in my marriage. Amy will share something with me, and I'll get defensive. Then later, I'll come back and say, "Hey, we, yeah, I mm-hmm. see that. We mm-hmm. probably need to to talk about that." But so um, sometimes, verse six can be true, but then it can be reversed. So keep praying and keep waiting.
0: Mm-hmm. Even if I have the self control not to say it. My internal response is always to trample the person. That's always my oh, yeah. knee jerk right. response yeah. when somebody offers correction. How dare you? Yeah. You've, yeah. Probably, done You've yeah. probably done yes. that to me. You've probably done that to me. When we
2: when we look about what this practically looks like, Matthew eighteen, and we don't have to, we, we can just reference it here. Jesus will instruct us what it looks like. He says, "Go first one to one." He doesn't say go and, and tell everybody else in the church. He says, "Go to that person." Then he says, "Bring a second person that you might confirm." that thing that you're both seeing, and what what I always have taken Jesus just pragmatically to look like in uh, in my own pastoral ministry is I, I almost, I, not almost always, I always approach the person and say, here's what I'm seeing, or here's what I'm hearing. Let me hear your side. Let me hear what, let me hear it from you first. And if they dig their heels in, then I might bring another person along and say, hey, here's what we're both seeing. We're both hearing. That way we're, they're seeing that it's not just me on a hunch. It's not just, I was, I, I saw one little thing. This is, we, we're, we're both seeing this. Then you bring the community around and the church around, and Jesus gives us a picture in Matthew 18 of uh, the, the procedure, we might say, of what this looks like. And I've thought about this numbers of times. I wrote a paper on all this in, uh, back in one of my classes, and I, I literally had the thought, if the church can just get this right with humility, it would solve so many problems of, of people that are wounded and hurt. Uh, and so... Comments on, on the Matthew 18, just what that looks like, how you've seen that play out?
1: Yeah. By the way, it's Matthew eighteen, fifteen to 17. Right. And, um, man, I would plead with people to do this, to work mm-hmm. this model. I would add a step. Mm-hmm. I know this is Jesus' sermon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Be careful, Sam. <laughs> well,
1: I'll do to Jesus what everybody does to me. Tell me what I should have preached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus <laughs> yeah, are,
2: yeah. Right now, Jesus is But I think, <laughs> I think it's implied. I
1: think it's implied. Verse 15a. You know, before we get there, <laughs> right? Man, talk to God first. Yeah. How many times have we felt like we need to go talk to someone about their sin, and we haven't talked to God about them? Get your heart right. You're there to restore. You're there to do it gently and humbly. And um, but if some if people would work this model, go talk to someone one on one in gentleness, humility, with the hope of restoration. Most of the time, I just come to someone and I just say, "How's it going?" that's usually all it takes. You just push that snowball down the hill a little bit. And, 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 and if they say good, uh, What's up? You may, you may have to take the, the, right. the reins a little bit. But a lot of times, just how's it going out of concern? And, and man, they're feeling the weight of this. Because if you're approaching them, they're probably into something pretty deep. They didn't accidentally let a curse word out when they right. hit their right, right, thumb right. with a <laughs> hammer. And you, you're, you're approaching you're them out of that one bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, got to take the log out of
2: my eye But that. I think if
1: people would work this model, because oftentimes somebody will come to me and gossip. And I'll say, have you talked to them? And then I'll say, why don't you try that first?
0: really good yeah and I think we've all felt the pain I mean I had a particular situation where I had I had done something and had somebody had shared it with like 10 other people before it ever got to me so it got to me like five steps down that this confrontation needed to happen and that sting of finding out you've been talked about uh is so so painful and mm-hmm. and I just think yeah a lot of hurt would be avoided if we had practiced this well
2: just just to just to kind of wrap this up i think in in uh in my own personal life, I remember there's a really good friend of mine uh he he would have been my best man if he didn't have a brother, and I was his best man his name 's van and uh, this is when we were in college and uh, there was something that I was doing that uh i didn 't think anybody knew about, and uh, he knew, and he had the courage to do this uh, he he said hey let 's go hang out he took me to uh, like, kind of our favorite place to go eat. We hung out, we talked football for a little. bit. we were, we were just joking around. He said, "Hey, I want to talk to you about something?" And uh, he had the guts to look at me and tell me. He said, "Hey, I know this is going on. he was he told it in a way that I needed, which this might be this might make people uncomfortable. He said, he said, "I know what's going on. I know that you don't want people to know. You wouldn't want the people that you lead to know. He said, uh, uh, he said, "I know, and I just want to give you a very simple option." He said, don't do it again, or I will lose respect for you as a man and as a follower of Jesus. And he had the courage to say that to me, and I needed that. I needed him to come at me in that kind of way because it showed me the seriousness of it. He spoke that in a way that was, he said, man, I'm, I struggle too with this, but he had the courage to come talk to me first. And I am so thankful to the Lord because he was right. And I went, I said, you're right. I will never do that again. And uh, he had the, the guts to follow up with me on it. And so uh, I always remember that story in my life because I don't know where that would have led if he didn't have the, the guts to come in there and, and hit a blind spot uh, in my life. And so if you're listening to this van in
0: Memphis, thank you. Well, and something that story illustrates that's been a core value around fellowship for a long time is that truth travels best the road of relationships. Right. And y'all had a, a lot of relational equity mm-hmm. in place for him to be able to come that directly to you Mm -hmm. and so prior to Matthew 18 it assumes that we're living in relationship with each other that you know each other well enough and you have enough trust that you're set up to do Matthew 18 well
1: yeah and and also you know I was reminded of Proverbs 27 6 that says wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses and so sometimes um the most loving thing you can do is to um Confront someone out of the heart of restoration in the tone of gentleness and humility. And I've definitely had people do that for me. Hey, I've also had someone come to me to confront me about something that wasn't true. And so also remember when you go to someone, um, you might phrase it as a question. Hey, this is this has come up or an accusation has been made, or I've come across some information. Um, I just wonder that, Hey, is this going on? And somebody may say, no, actually, no. You know, and at that point you've got to say, you know what? Hey, I appreciate that. And, and you got to back off. I've had that happen and then found out later it was true. So (laughs) (laughs) this is delicate stuff, but, but I've actually had someone come and and uh, confront me out of love and, and just say, no, not really. no, not really an issue and they said oh i'm sorry and uh they they were just a part of the gossip and so Hmm.
0: well garland sam thanks for the the biblical wisdom and clarity you brought to this it's been it's been helpful for me and and hopefully it it helps everyone listening to take this issue out of just a theoretical cloud into the practical real life places that this happens and uh, that's our aim so thanks for listening to out of curiosity
2: Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed how to respond to a brother or sister in sin. For further study, we recommend looking in Scripture at Matthew 18, 15-20 and Galatians 6, 1-10. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to OOCuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at OOCuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.